Hey, it's Sarah, and not only can you catch Jalen and Jacoby weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2, but you can also listen to original content on their podcast feed. One of their most recent episodes, they discuss the Knicks start, the Heat's Miami Vice uniforms, whether or not Gordon Hayward is back, and Jalen campaigned for a key to the city in Detroit. You can find Jalen and Jacoby wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. I'm Boog Shambi, and my dilemma is I need help moving to Chicago. Well, first of all, I am pumped about your dilemma. I know I shouldn't say that since it's a dilemma for you, but I am so pumped that you're moving to Chicago and I'm going to bring together all of the right people to make it easy for you. My husband is a realtor, so he can help you find somewhere to live. I got all sorts of friends that work in bars and restaurants so they can tell you where to eat and drink. Uh, you know where the ballpark is, so you know how to get to work every day. This is going to be easy. If you're worried about the actual movers, my suggestion to you after multiple attempts to move in my 20s by myself, wrangling whatever kind friend would offer me a hand, I started just paying people and never again, never again will I move without just throwing money at the problem. I don't think that should be an issue for you. So uh, yeah, as far as movers go, pack up the five things that are most meaningful and let somebody else do the rest of it. Get your butt on over to Chicago and then I'll introduce you to all the other people that you need to meet. That's what she said. This week's guest is John Boog Shambi, the new TV play-by-play announcer for the Chicago Cubs. He replaces Len Casper, who had the job for 16 years. And uh, Cubs fans were sort of shocked and disappointed when Len said he was leaving the team to be the new radio voice for the White Sox on the South Side. But the announcement of Boog uh, teaming up with Jim Deshays in the booth has been met by universal approval. I have not seen a single dissenting voice, which is really saying something uh, for any fan base, but especially one so closely tied to its baseball team and the voice of the team. Uh, For the last six years, baseball fans have gotten to know Boog as the voice of Sunday Night Baseball for MLB on ESPN Radio and as the regular play-by-play voice for Wednesday Night Baseball on ESPN TV telecasts. Uh, He's going to continue to do some work with ESPN, mainly calling college hoops and postseason baseball and doing some some Sunday Night Baseball radio calls, but uh, thrilled to have him on to talk about taking over the gig here in Chicago. You're going to like this. That's what she said. I am super excited to have John Boog Shambi on the podcast and to pick his brain about the decision to come to my hometown of Chicago and call my team Jeez. the Chicago Cubs. But before we get to that decision yeah, let's and the make big it about move, you, huh? Good God. I mean, it is my podcast. Oh, Boog. Cow, uh, you're sorry. just here. You're just here to look pretty. So just sit the, there and okay. yeah, I'm just yeah. the guest in your yellow foam shoebox. That's yeah. right. This okay. is my radio closet. Uh, and you would be, you know, wipe your feet first and everything else. Take your shoes off. Okay. Um, before we get to that decision and your big move, uh, let's go all the way back. Uh, you were born in Philly, but you grew up in, in New York. Tell me about uh, what your parents did and what kind of kid and lifestyle you had. My parents divorced when I was three. We They met at Drexel in Philadelphia. And my mom and I moved to New York when I was seven. I grew up in this little place called Roosevelt Island. I went to, uh, my dad was living in New York uh, prior to that. So I got to see my dad some, even though my parents were divorced, he coached me in baseball. I ended up going to a Catholic school in New York City, Regis, same high school as Pablo Torre. Um, 
Anthony Fauci. Hmm. Um, yeah, so Jim Shudo was my locker mate. I was SCIA. <laughs> he's SCIU, so we lockered next to each other from CNN. And I didn't get my driver's license until I was 24, I guess. Oh, my gosh. I took New the York. subway to high school. And, uh, yeah, and it was, it was a great – it was a great – place to grow up and I loved baseball from the jump. I just was a huge, huge baseball fan as a little kid. I loved to, they put the bat in my hands and I grabbed it left-handed, even though I threw right-handed and I just, I love to hit and play and I love watching the Phillies. Did you play other sports or just baseball? I played soccer too. Don't let the, the body fool you. I played that through, uh, throughout high school, sophomore through senior year. So, but my, you know, in New York, I, I I always wanted to play football. That was the sport that I always felt like. But I, in terms of its availability, you know, two hand touch on the basketball court during the winter That's was that was game. that was all yeah. that was available. You know, I, I honestly I never played I never played an organized football game in my life, and did not, and I couldn't honestly tell you where I would have gone to play. It was it wasn't like, hey, do you want to play football? And I was saying no. I don't I don't even know where organized football with equipment and that thing was available uh hmm. as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you loved sports and baseball. Did you love watching and listening and reading columnists or was it more later in life that you got into the media side? No, I mean I I wasn't shy as a kid. I was the type of kid that would engage adults. And wasn't scared of adults. I've told this story a couple of times. My grandparents lived in Norristown and they were going on a cruise and they had to explain to me what a cruise is. And they sat me down, they went through all of it, you know, get to eat and gamble and dance and drink and shuffleboard and all that stuff. And when it was when my grandfather was done explaining it to me, I said, Okay, but how do you get the box scores? I was like six. <laughs> He's like, you don't. And I said, well, then I'm never going on a cruise. <laughs> Editors note, I've never been on a cruise, by the way. Yeah. That's I've truth. only been on one and it was the Gronk boat. So it doesn't really count. It was, wow. it was not it wasn't your average. That's its own <laughs> podcast right there. It, it, it should have been. Um, wow. So you were into the box scores. You were like really dissecting baseball and diving in, not just playing it. So, um, and I was, I was, I was hooked in. I love to play, but I was hooked in emotionally, you know, so five, six, seven, I would have my mom hang the Philly score on the doorknob in some <laughs> way so that I got up and that was the first thing that I saw. So I knew oh, cool. what, you know, what had happened. That's awesome. So who was your favorite player growing up? Mike Schmidt. I love Mike Schmidt. I, I still like we're doing the podcast. I still have there's a, a poster. Is that Dwight Yoakum? There's a poster. There's no Dwight. That's no, that's Sut. That's Rick Sutcliffe. With the hat? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, right here. Here you go. That's Sut. Oh my with the that looks like um when you go to like the uh it looks like, like Merlin Sears. Or yeah, or like you go to a Sears and they give you that soft focus with the with yeah. the backdrop. Wow. And then that's the poster that was on my wall. Wow, MVP awesome. and Cy Young with Schmidt and, and Carlton. And that's great. The night, by the way, I haven't told anybody this. The night that 
you know, Rick Sutcliffe and I worked together on TV for a long time. So the night that the night before it it was announced, so it was announced on a Monday, the night, the Sunday night, um, Mike Schmidt called to congratulate me. And that kind of made me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you cry? I mean, it was it was pretty. It was pretty awesome. Now, I also uh, I, I got called Mike Schmidt calling me was like. I was just, yeah, I was sort of stumbling and bumbling. <laughs> and um, Don Manningly called. He was the other, another guy who was my, you know, as a kid, I loved. Joe Madden called me. Nice. And then I got a call from Eddie Vetter as well, which was pretty cool. Decent. Yeah. So did Eddie, did Ed already have your uh, your number? No, Sut did all okay. of that. You've hung with Eddie by now, right? I have. Yeah, he's the best. I hate to name drop, but like what what an actually good dude. Yes. Uh, and that's going to be fun for you, too. It's it's an extra added bonus of being a Cubs fan and being around that park is that you'll just be walking down the street and be like, oh, look, it's Vetter playing a set on the t- apartment on top of Murphy's bleachers where the one day he just sat and played with a busker yeah. right on Sheffield. And like people walk by were like, well, wow, that guy sounds a lot like any better. And it was. And it was for like, to me. For like an hour. Um, he's awesome. All right. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. So let's go back. So you get to Boston College at the yeah. time. Did you go there thinking, I want to work in sports? So I went to William & Mary as a preferred walk-on to play baseball. And I I didn't love it. I, I, I hurt my shoulder while I was there. I ended up, between my freshman and sophomore year, I had surgery on my rotator cuff and my labrum. Let me pause the story and say, like, I wasn't I, – I was good in high school – but I wasn't a good player. And I went and transferred to Boston College. The coach helped get me into BC as I transferred for spring semester of my sophomore year. And I went on their spring training trip. And I think I grounded into two double plays in one game. And I think I was cut the next day. Oh, but you got into so school. I got into school. And then I went and ran to the student radio station WZBC, which is one of the more famous musical college radio stations in the country. You know, it's a place that like broke, you know, REM in back in the day. It was just, it was super progressive. I remember hearing Nirvana there for the first time. They were really, you know, against the grain type type stuff. And when I got to there, I did sports stuff with Bob Wachusen and Joe Tessitore. They were there. Yeah. I saw that about Joe Tess. That's wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you've been at some schools that have uh, a nice history in the sports world. So what's the first job out of Boston college? You're already doing sports radio right. there. Did you think mm-hmm. at that time you wanted to just be a sports radio host or was there a, that's a, a what dream I wanted of to be. Baseball? It's funny that that's really was the thing is that I wanted to be a sports talk show host. That's really what I, I wanted to be, you know, Mike and the mad dog. So you oh. New York people and Mike and the man, I mean, hey, it is hey, just hey. an obsession. Yeah. Uh, he's a good player. <laughs> know who I like also Jita. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I that's what I wanted. So my first job was so the crawl at ESPN, you know, like the bottom line. Mm-hmm. It was at when it when it first took place, it was farmed out to a place called Sports Ticker, 
in Jersey City. And ESPN eventually bought it. But I worked for Sports Ticker, just taking in scores and creating scores and box scores. I did that. So that was like my first, first job. And then I got a job in Bradford, Pennsylvania at a radio station, WZBC. Bradford, Pennsylvania is the home of the Zippo Lighter Factory. <laughs> so it's it's like the refrigerator of Pennsylvania. It's 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 out there. It's three hours from Pittsburgh. It's south of Buffalo. It's seven hours from Philly. It, it's so... But I went there as a 22-year-old and got a chance, 23-year-old, 22, uh, and I got a chance to be on the air. I got to DJ. I got to do news. I got to do sports. I board up Pirates games. I just I went out and reported. I did everything. Great place and, to learn all that. Yeah, and I so I got to just learn how to be on the air, and they were paying me, you know? So, <laughs> And then I also needed a uh, – a secondary job because I need, I couldn't pay the bills. I was being paid minimum wage to, to go do that uh, on air stuff. So I went to the local supermarket and at the, uh, the supermarket was tops in, uh, in Bradford, Pennsylvania. So I'm thinking, you know, I'll be a stock boy or I'll be a cashier. They had one job. It was the midnight to eight donut maker. Oh boy. So I show up and I'm being trained and I'm getting splattered with grease and it's just terrible. And I, you know, I, they're, you know, terrible. Like it's like Billy ocean, get out of my dreams and get into my car. Like is playing in the background. Just, yeah. And, the same seven songs oh. on an hour loop. And, and so here's what happens. And how many times did you say time to make the donuts well, every day? So what happens is <laughs> at about four in the morning, I come to terms with the idea. I'm going to do this for about a month and take my money and find another job. And at six in the morning, I'm like two weeks. At least <laughs> it's money. And I left at eight in the morning and never went back. And the perks weren't good enough? The perks weren't good enough. One night, I did it. <laughs> and for a week straight, at like 10 to midnight, all my friends who I had told I had the job, I didn't tell that I quit. So I would get on my answering machine at 10 to midnight every night. My friends would call, Shambi, time to make the donuts. <laughs> and then they'd hang up. I oh, stole your punchline. Oh, but I mean, that's, that is such a, is, is that such a dated reference? Like, have we made clear? Yeah. No, the, how old 4, thousand years anyone, old. That's right. Anyone I'm Moses and you're Mrs. Moses. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay. So you made the donuts once and you heard about it for the rest of your life. And yeah. everybody that's ever heard that story has made the same joke that I did thinking they were real clever. Uh -huh. uh, when did you end up in Miami? Or how long were so you, I guess? I was there, I called with, I, while I was in Bradford, I called with shoes and he helped get me the job. Um, Joe Zagacki was the program director. He's the voice of the Miami Hurricanes. Long Zagacki! Yeah. I, I mean, whenever I hear that, I clearly have to sure. say that. It's just a name that gets yelled over and over on the Levitard show, and I've never really understood why. Right. They always just yell, Zagacki! That's right. So... <laughs> I went down there. I slept on Bob's couch for like two years and I just climbed. I board up. Now, 
it's probably a good time to say day one, I go in and train on the Dave Lamont and Joe Rose morning show. And I had a mailbox because I was going to be, I think I was getting benefit. I was, you know, hourly, but I was getting benefit. So I had a mailbox and Dave Lamont's from Baltimore and he took one look at me and he said, you look like Boog Powell. There it is. And the next day taped over my mailbox, taped over the name on my mailbox. Instead of John Chalmby, it said Boog Powell. And that was it. (laughs) So you were John your whole life. So here's up, how right? it works. It's so funny, you always picture someone's nickname I was as actually, coming much younger. As a young kid, I was Jonathan, and still today. So my childhood crush, my the love of my life, was a girl named Lauren Glassberg, who's a reporter for WABC in New York City. And I mean, to this day, if I see, she's great, and she's you know still here in New York. But she, if she sees me, she calls me Jonathan. So, so, so a lot of the grade school people called me Jonathan. Most of my friends from home call me John. My friends from high school call me by my last name. Um, and pretty much everybody that's met me professionally calls me Boog. So did you think it would stick like that? Not the way it has. And I never introduce myself that way, especially not to women, because I don't feel like explaining it. Right. Well, also, there's a real risk of friend zone. I happen to know in my life that the guys who have called me Spain have not. Well, everyone calls me Spain. I should say the guys who call me Sarah tend to be the ones that are interested in me because I think they think it would be weird to, you know, date someone and call them Spain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So. uh, So it just I, I think that as so. Once I got to Miami, I, I had a full season press pass to uh, to all the sports. And that was back in the day when the press box where you didn't pay for food. So it was going to a free game and free dinner. And so I would go to the Marlins games. You know, this is I landed there at the end of 93. So I, we would go to there. We go to the Heat. We go to the Panthers. And I just kind of. Um, yeah, just got a chance to go. So I would go, I would meet baseball scouts, baseball people. And because of that, it just, it started to stick. They always, so they'd always remember me, you know, like that was one of the things that helped when I started and eventually worked in the baseball world. Boog was something that, that, you know, made me easier to remember. So. For sure. So you're working your way up and um, you eventually end up being the voice of the Marlins on the radio. What was the, what was the time period between you first got to Miami and when you're calling games on the radio? So the one thing that I did was I got a chance to do my own talk show at night. But when I didn't have games, I go call Marlins games into a tape recorder. So I did that in the empty booths and I put a tape together. I sent it out. Levitard and I were good friends. And is this when you were working at the ticket, 790? I was, this was WQAM. Okay. So Wayne Huizenga owned the Marlins, the Panthers, and eventually the Dolphins. And so I put a tape together. A friend of Dan Levitard's uh, set was doing minor league play-by-play, Jim Frivola, in Sioux City. And the team, the guy that owned that team owned another team. And I ended up getting a job in 1996 with the Boise Hawks. 
And so I did that. And when I came back, the Marlins were totally changing up their broadcast team. And when I, for the first three or four years, I was pregame, postgame, I traveled in-game color and a little bit of play-by-play. And then slowly I got a chance to do more and more and more play-by-play on the radio. And that's seven years that you ended up with the Marlins. That's eight. a long I time. I was there, eight. eight. Yeah, and eight. I got so two World you, Series rings. Did you? That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, did you think that that was going to be sort of a lifer kind of thing? I'm not sh- No, I think I was so determined when I got the Boise job to get a job as a major league play-by-play guy that I don't know that I was able to process when I finally got, when they finally said, okay, you're going to get three innings of play-by-play every game. I don't know that I processed it as I'll do it here the rest of my life. I, I, I'm not sure how, how I thought of that. Um, what happens between the Marlins and the Braves, and why did you leave the Marlins? So it's funny because it connects with what just happened. Len Casper was the TV voice, and he left for the Cubs. So they offered me the TV job. And ESPN <clears throat> had brought me up to Bristol. I'd never called a TV game in my life. So this is funny. They had had my tape, my radio tape, but – So I was offered the Marlins TV job, having never called a TV baseball game. And then ESPN came and brought me up to Bristol and had me call a game as an audition off of Monitor and offered me 45 TV baseball games. Wow. So I took that and did a talk show in Miami. So I turned down the Marlins TV and I I went to ESPN for 05 and 06 and then some of BSPN's baseball package got reduced. And so I sent out a tape. I applied for the Braves job, and I got that. And so I was in Atlanta for seven, eight, and nine. And then back to ESPN again when presumably they <clears throat> upped their baseball right. package again. Well, they, they offered me to be the lead radio voice was sort of the anchor. You know, I would do a bunch of college basketball games on TV, and then – I would do every Sunday night baseball game on the radio, some Saturdays on the radio, and then every, you know, and then some TV games, which eventually grew to, you know, every Saturday, Sunday on the radio. You know, I had a three-year stretch where I would do Saturday on the radio, Sunday on the radio, Monday baseball tonight in Bristol, Tuesday baseball tonight in Bristol, Wednesday night on TV and some other location. It was crazy. Hmm. That is wild. Yeah. Your your weekend is uh, Thursday, Friday, basically. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so if you had to put percentages on it, you don't have to use actually numbers, but, you know, just sort of symbolically, how much of leaving calling the, the Braves or the Marlins uh, was in part the money and, and the national exposure of ESPN and how much of it was changing the, the job and the lifestyle of calling one city's team? So the Braves move was because I I needed a consistent baseball job. Like I needed to make sure that I got reps and it was the best thing for me. Like that was the chance I got to do 120 games and I really got a chance to get better. And, but I also wanted to get back to New York. I wanted to, you know, New York to be my home base. I really wanted to be the lead voice on the radio. That was, that was a, a big thing. So it wasn't about getting back to doing a team necessarily. It was just, I, I wanted to 
to call more baseball. And I think I needed to call more baseball to, to improve, to get, to get better. Um, and it was just, it was a good experience in what I've been really lucky. You know, you look at what Len did in leaving the Cubs, my gig, the last eight years or so, I mean, I get to call a network TV game a week and a network radio game a week. I get to do both. And everybody loves to do, well, which do you like better? They're different, man. They 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 access different skill sets. And I love that I get to exercise both. You know, TV, I get a chance to get my nerd on and probably mess around a little bit more and influence content more because you can see what is happening. Radio, I really enjoy the craft of nailing the descriptive play call, doing it efficiently, and just the growth that comes along with it. Because baseball is a play-by-play sport on the radio. Mm -hmm. Baseball is a slow sport that can get fast in a hurry. So, and the ball can go in a bazillion different directions. So I love that I, you know, got a chance to do both. So I really have had the best of, of both worlds. We'll get right back to the interview, but first, I'd like a word. I would also like you to tell me your favorite word. As an ode to Chris Singleton, I think I might just make it wow. <laughs> Onomatopoeic, efficient, quick. So the backstory on that is every year that he and I've worked together for 10 years, and one of the years in the open, like the open of the broadcast is just, you know, quick cut highlight calls. And it would be us you know, back, it'd be a play-by-play call and then, you know, some Chris. And one of the years, the Open, was just nothing but me. And then the only appearance that Chris made in the entire Open was him just going, wow. So it was just like, <laughs> swing and a drive, do my field, it's gone! In the third, tag, and he's out. And then just him going, wow. And then me, more play-by-play. <laughs> so I would just mock him endlessly. And then the best part was, I started mocking him so much that I ended up using wow on the air so that it became my thing. I stole <laughs> wow from him, so it became a three-run homer, and it's gone! Wow! <laughs> now he couldn't even say that. First of all, I love that you stole another man's one word, <laughs> but I also really love the simplicity of wow. It is it is not nearly as versatile as the F word or the 50 center, as my family calls it, because uh, you had to put in two quarters in the swear jar for it. But it is incredibly versatile because wow can be positive, negative, judgmental, more. I mean, it's it's a very good word. And apparently, according to the Internet, it first showed up in Scotland in the 1500s and was first published in 1513 in a translation of the Aeneid. It is a word I use a lot, and it is a it is a good choice. Speaking of great words. You gonna learn today. The word of the week is antediluvian, believed to have first come into usage in the 1640s. I heard my colleague Paul Feinbaum just casually drop this into a get-up interview like it was no thing. I have never heard this word in my life. So, of course, I immediately looked it up, and it means of or belonging to the time before the biblical flood, or alternately, ridiculously old-fashioned. And I overuse the word antiquated, so I'm going to start sprinkling in antediluvian every once in a while. In a sentence, too many people on Twitter have positively antediluvian ideas about women in sports. That's what she said. 
What are you most looking forward to in getting back to one team that's your focus instead of each week you've maybe got three national games and there's different teams? I think connecting with the community and the fan base. I mean, it's just, look, I, I'm still the six-year-old kid that wants to know how you get the box score. Like that's mm-hmm. still at my core, how dorky I am and how much I love it. And ha- I mean, w- we could sit here for three hours and I could tell you about all the things that I think are interesting about baseball now. Um, that's not to say I don't think that there are problems too, but I, I just love it so much. And I want to be in a place where my passion is reflected back at me and of the stops that I consistently make on the road as a national announcer, I mean, Chicago would be right there at the top of the list. That's what I meant when I said, you know, they said, what are you doing this? You know, what is it that's attractive? And I said, I want to be where baseball matters and baseball matters on the North side of Chicago. I'm not digging it at White Sox fans or on the South side, but the thing is, you know, if the Cubs win 90 games, Cubs fans want to know why they didn't win 92. And if they get to the LCS, they want to know why they didn't win the World Series. And if they lose 100 games, the stadium's going to be pretty full and people are going to be angry that they're not winning more games. And I'm down with that, man. Well, I think you already made a T-shirt. I don't know if it's official yet, but my guy over at Obvious Shirts, I I already saw the mock-up for the – you know, baseball matters on the north side of Chicago. So you've already you've already got yourself a catchphrase that people are going to attach to. Which it makes me seem uh, like such an asshole, though, doesn't it? I don't think so. Bit. All right. I mean, also, like honestly, it, if you take a dig at the south side every once in a while, it's certainly not going to make Cubs fans love you any less. And in fact, you know, it, it, as long as you're doing it in a tongue-in-cheek, yeah. winking way, right? Because you know, especially this year where the Sox are going to be good, should be good. Yeah. And going to be a very interesting storyline in Chicago with La Russa and everything where they get buried a lot compared to the Cubs. But yeah. there's there's a lot of meat on that bone. So you're going to want to, you know, give them something, give them something to compete with. Um, I would just tell you, by the way, just for the joke, that would have worked a lot funnier if you had said, honestly, you're kind of an asshole. That would have been right. Funnier that's there. true. Yeah. It is true. Um, I'll I'll go back and edit it. Yeah. And I'll put that in in post. Um. So your style of calling a game, if you're going to describe it to people who've maybe heard you a couple of times but are getting ready to right. hear you regularly, other than accidentally calling a different game that you're watching on a side monitor, yes. forgetting that that's not the game you're supposed to be calling, what else is your style? Right. I mean, well, that – I mean, look, I'm I'm open to that. I, that that could still <laughs> happen this year if, if, you know, if the Cubs are blowing some people out and, you know, the White Sox game is close. No. Uh <laughs> I think I have a good idea for what is interesting. So I'm I'm just looking to find I want it to be interesting. I want it to be fun. I want it to be smart. I don't I, I, I one of the things I love about JD is JD doesn't say dumb stuff. JD doesn't get sucked into narrative based stuff. If he doesn't have something to say, he doesn't spit out some cliche, which it's not easy to do. So yeah, I want it to be Smart, fun, interesting. Those those are sort of the, the things I'm looking for, not necessarily in in that particular order. And I, you know, again, it's been ten years. I, you know, I you'll know that I want the Cubs to win the game. You know, I, I I don't know. People have asked me, will I be a homer? I don't I don't know that I'm going to be dropping uh, a we on us, but 
it's just human that, you know, you're on the plane. I'll also say this. I've done so many of these games, so many of the Cubs games. I like Kyle Hendricks. Riz mm-hmm. is great. KB's awesome. Javi's awesome. I like Petraris. I know Hapwell. He's a good dude. Like, so it just be, and you're with them all the time. It becomes pretty personal. Well, and Ross, you called when he played for the Braves. Yeah. Then you called in the booth with him when he was retired. And now you're going to call him as a skipper. So I sure hope you guys don't dislike each other. That's a whole lot of uh, yeah. career spent together. No, I I mean, he, he's, he's a, he's a good friend and I just, I enjoy being around him. I love his honesty. Um, it goes back a long time. He was a, you know, I think our connection's kind of neat in terms of, I mean, he has said it and I think back to it, but you know, basically how we got connected initially was he came to the Braves. I was already with the Braves and he saw how Chipper, Smoltz, McCann, Frank Core reacted to me and that I had earned their trust. Uh, and so he, so he was, so he kind of got the lay of the land and, and figured out that, that I was okay, I guess. Um, yeah. And, you know, and then over the years, seeing him because of the time in Atlanta together, you know, having a relationship there and then seeing him and then, you know, working with him for three years. And we just had, you know, we had so much fun from, you know, Sutton, I messed with him. He met, I would, you know, as, so I was a catcher in college, whatever, but I, you know, that's the position that I'd watch. So if somebody makes a nice block, there'd be times the three of us would be in the booth and I'd be like, Oh, nice block. You know, while I'm calling the game and he'd like pat me on the shoulder and he'd be like, why don't you let me handle the cat? <laughs> so, and just, you know, there was a million of them. We had a, we had a ninth, uh, a game that went extra innings, a Philly Red Sox game. And he gets up and runs to the bathroom and he comes back and we're back on the air going to the 10th and he puts his headset on really slowly and like quietly. Cause he, cause we're talking and he puts his headset on and Rick Sutcliffe, God bless him. Like he's not going to be bringing the potatoes out of the Mensa picnic, you know, <laughs> but he picked, but he figured this one out and he puts his headset on and with us, you know, it was just like a pause, and Sut goes, that's a great point, Boog. What do you think about that, Rossi? <laughs> what a dick. And Rossi, like, and it was like 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, and he goes, and then he just blurts out, you guys never go to the bathroom. You're just like camels. <laughs> and it was all in the air. So and good. I will tell you this, that it's that type of stuff, maybe saying I'm proud of, but my vibe as a network announcer has always been to make it a little more local, to make it right. feel a little yeah, more human. And we just had those moments, you know, with David. We'd argue, we'd, you know, look, we're nerds. So, like, there's a place out in Seattle called Driveline um, that is a, a data-driven approach to training guys especially pitchers a lot of guys go there when you know Kershaw went there prior to this past season and his velocity went back up it's where Trevor Bauer is trained for the last five years 
And like, I'm a nerd. So I go out there. I've gone out there, not this before this past one because of COVID, but, uh, well, no, I guess I did go in Jan in not. Yeah, I did last year, whatever. I, so I've gone a couple of times, but you know, like I grabbed Rossi one year and I was like, Hey man, I'm going to go out there just for a couple of days. We're going to go watch. And like, it might be good for you to go check it out. I mean, th there was no secret that he might end up managing and, and they're doing the edutronic cameras um, and and all that stuff and just a good way for us to go out there. So like, we went out to Seattle together and just watched and asked questions. And so, yeah, I mean, I I love the dude. I, and, and I don't think there's – I knew he'd be good at this. I think he'll keep getting better at it. Um, and I'm just – I'm excited to get a chance to see him every day. And I'm going to tell him – you know, don't yell at me because um, <laughs> every once in a while, yeah, he's going to he's going to snap. And I'm going to be like, don't yell at me. He's like, don't ask dumb questions. And I'm like, he's, don't yell at me. <laughs> he's such a good dude and such a nice dude. But he tells it like it is. Um, and he's, well, he's hard on my people. joke. So my joke with him, though, and I have it, too. And, you, and my guess is you'll be surprised that I have it. But my biggest thing with David Ross is everybody thinks David Ross is the nice guy from Dancing with the Stars. David <laughs> Ross is hashtag sneaky asshole. Sneaky He's asshole. Asshole? Yes. Ass, but like, but like, I'm punking you or I'm actually no. a dick? He's got some asshole to him. <laughs> I've never said. Okay, so hashtag my sneaky one, asshole. My, my one sneaky Ross is I got sent to Cleveland to do a story for ESPN, the magazine with Ross, Simone Biles and J.R. Smith. Okay. Talk about a weird combo. It's three people who had a great 2016. Yeah. So it's going to be the new year's cover of the three of them hanging out together. There was a goat at the photo shoot. It was wild, but Simone Biles is still very young and her dad is there and he's very protective and he's watching the shoot. And I ask David Ross casually about the celebration where they raise one leg almost Captain Morgan style and then celebrate by bumping right ugly I guess right and I'm thinking I want to know what he says and this is going to be edited later so we'll probably cut it out but let's see what he says about it but I also think he might censor himself both for the fact that he's doing a TV interview yeah. and there's a child next to him right and he did not he essentially went right in, yeah well we're basically like bumping cocks and Simone Biles' dad is just laser eyes. And afterwards, he gives us a full talking to about how inappropriate it was to ask the question, to get the question. I'm like, Ross, you mother like, just word it differently or like, tell me that you can't answer it. There's a child next to you. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. Absolute asshole is yes, actually what that right. was where we're going with that straight. That's right. um, OK, so you mentioned that you're not going to be a homer, but it's going to be clear you want the Cubs to win. One thing that people often say about their hometown call is they like when the person is from that city and they think they're connected to it. So we know you're not, we know you've called other places, but people are still really excited about you getting the job. So I guess I wonder, you do not strike me as the kind of jabron who's going to do stuff like talk about deep dish pizza and like, you know what I mean? Like you're, but how much time have you spent in Chicago and do you feel comfortable like you're not going to accidentally step on a trope that everyone hears like, oh, this, uh, this is stupid or that kind of thing? How much time? I mean, I probably have been to Chicago like over the last 25 years, probably four times a year. So, I mean, I, a lot. I think this. It's just not my my bag to do the deep dish pizza thing. 
my antenna is up for the fact that there's still going to be stuff that I don't know. And I think that I, I, I'm just open to learning about it. And I'm going to ask some questions. And I recognize that doing it every single day, you know, there are just some things to, you know, connect on locally. But I I don't know, man. It's always felt familiar and comfortable to me. So I, I, I'm not too worried about it because I guess I'm open to the idea that there's just things that I don't know. And I'm also entering into it, to be perfectly honest, um, that it's going to be my home for the next long time. I wonder, do you ask anybody, whether that's JD or Len or someone else in town or even Madden or any of those or Rossi, do you ask them to download you on the last five or 10 years or even five years? Do you at least want a little that one? So that's the one I don't feel like I need it. I mean, I'll still ask questions because I like talking about it. I don't need the last five years. Like I was around there a ton the last five years. So like that part of the story. Dynamics in the clubhouse or between players and, and managers or any of that stuff, you're good enough on that. It's more that you want to be able to, to respond to Jack Brickhouse if a reference makes sense and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, it's, it's more, it's more that it's more that, you know, it's more understanding a generational connection to Ron Santo and to Ernie um, and to Billy, you know, that, that type of stuff. And, and, and where uh, in the timeline that all, that stuff all works. Like I was just, I was around those teams so much and connected, you know, like I, I, I know Theo and Jed pretty well and know Joe pretty well. I, I, you know, what being around David and then the trips, like I feel like I have a, a good idea about what, what's taken place there in the last five years Um it doesn't mean I won't ask questions. Don't misunderstand me, but I, I would say I'm more, I'm more. Uh, I think the 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 macro history. I just want to make sure I don't get anything wrong. Well, I think people are really excited because obviously you're incredible at your job, but also your way of being, your mannerisms, and your approach feels like a great fit for Chicago. First of all, your accent is not. Uh, giving me any Cornell PTSD, which usually people from New York start talking and I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in an awful sorority where everyone's wearing black and I, and they're all wearing juicy couture. Um, but beyond that, you also just have more of a laid back vibe, which I think is a fit versus, you know, the Mike and the Mad right. Dog sort of New York sports is a very different vibe from Chicago, um, in my opinion. Um, yeah, but um, what are you most looking forward to about living in Chicago and and getting back where you're with the team and the players and everybody on a regular basis, other than hanging out with me and you know, the being around it every day part is it's really special. The connections that you make. I mean, I think that part of who I am as a broadcaster is that I like connecting with people. Whether you know you, I mean, I you know you've been to to Wrigley enough times that, you know, Keith is the guy that's going to greet you as you're heading up the stairs, mm-hmm. you know, going into the press box. Played so, football with his son. <laughs> there you go. So, right. So I, I think the day in day out being around, it's just special. Like there's a, and, and you know, you're not a player, but you get to be mm-hmm. around something all the time. That's, that's super cool. And as far as the city, I just always really loved it. I remember the first time I went there, my dad took me. He was on a business trip. We saw Nolan Ryan pitch 
somewhere in the early 80s. And the way I experienced it is like we were walking down the street and past a house and a house, you know, like a brick house and a brick house and a brick house. And then we went into one of them and there was a field. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and we got to eat at the Bennigan's at O'Hare Airport, which wow. I love. And, uh, Memory to savor. So, and then the other one was my mom, one of the coolest, I mean, Monday was legitimately one of the coolest days of my life. And, you know, Sunday into Monday, Mike Schmidt calling me, but, you know, the announcement and all of it and just my phone, it was insane. It's still a little crazy. But for my 30th birthday, my mom put together this amazing surprise. So I was the play-by-play guy with the Marlins. And she reached out to my three closest childhood friends, my three closest high school friends, three of my college friends. Lebetard flew in for it. And at a certain point, somebody came in and said, hey, someone's trying to get your attention. And I looked down and my parents, you know, are divorced. And my mom's on one end, my dad's on the other end, and all my friends are in the middle. And they're all looking up, waving at me. And that was my 30th birthday. That's awesome. And that was, yeah, that was as memorable as it gets. There's just something about this city you know, I love a walkable city, and and it's. Um, so I was in Chicago. You were calling Cubs Marlins. I was in Chicago yeah, calling Cubs Marlins, awesome. and your mom. Yeah, was pretty cool. Um, yeah. I so I got to let you go in a minute, but I wanted to ask if you have a. Do you have I'm a Ricky Bell go. spot? That's how Rick Sutcliffe gets when Rick Sutcliffe's <laughs> ready to get off the phone. I would like, love just to talk t- longer. I have to do. There's other a time. Radio. There's a time limit, and Rick Sutcliffe, it'll just like at a certain point, it'll just be like, "All right, I got to let you go." <laughs> Um, do you Sorry. have a do you have a Wrigleyville haunt? Is are, are people going to be able to suspect that maybe after a day game one day they'll they'll hop into Murphy's Bleacher or the Cubby Bear and, and see you having a beer? I mean, Murphy's is has been the spot for me. So um, perfect. That's my spot. yeah. Great. Meet you there when uh what twenty twenty three maybe when are we gonna be back at uh, bars? Hey <laughs> hey, why are you driving the happy bus I, off the cliff? I, girl in a purple phone box you know what good news is murphy's bleachers has a lot of outdoor space and uh i managed to make it to a couple cubs games this year on a rooftop and i had a brewski or two at murphy's outside safely and distantly so there's hope for all of us potentially maybe before i let you go you do have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects god no didn't expect a kind of spanish inquisition Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Okay, what? <laughs> Number one. You're, I don't want to do this. Well, you're going to anyway, because I, I don't have to let you go yet. What You said you had to let me go. <laughs> After this, this is required. It was part of the contract you signed. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have a couple questions. First, uh, I love your program. What's your favorite and, uh <laughs> Your current career is canceled. What job do you do instead? My current career is canceled. I guess a midnight to eight donut maker, right? I got to take another crack at that one. <laughs> you did only donut. give it one day. What a quitter. One day. What yeah. A quitter. Uh, number two, yeah. what's the most scared you've ever been? Uh... <laughs> um, what is the most scared I've ever been? I feel I, I immediately cut to something roller coaster related, but then I, I also wouldn't. I, I think that that's that's erroneous. So um, I, Rick Sutcliffe around cheesecake frightens me always. So <laughs> uh, number three, you could be the best in the world at something for one day. What is it? 
Ooh, what a great question that is. Thank you. I'm so glad you're enjoying this. I think I would like to be, I think being the best singer. Mm, agreed. Can't sing. At all. Like not musically inclined. <laughs> People have already asked seventh inning stretch and I am going to be channeling like Bill Murray, Nick, the lounge singer. Perfect. Terrible. Number four. What current celebrity, TV, politics, music, whatever, would you most like to be your best friend? Jason Bateman. Oh, I love Jason. Do you listen to Smartless? I mean, here and there. It's He's the a best. big Dodger fan. Yeah. Smartless is the most, if I'm in a bad mood, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just throwing a Smartless interview. It's going to be delightful. It's going to make me happy. Yeah. He seems awesome. Uh, number five, what's your biggest, mostly meaningless pet peeve? I mean... Yeah, I I really it just popped into my head, but it it it's I despise when people call it the MLB. <laughs> it's not the MLB. It's not the major it's league. Major baseball. league baseball. <laughs> it's the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League, and it's Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. Stop calling it the MLB. Okay. Well, do you feel okay, the same everybody way? on the tw the Twitter? The Twitter. Do you feel the same way about RBIs? No, I don't care. Really? Because I hate no, that way more than I hate the MLB. No, absolutely not. It would be that's RBI. a bad opinion you have. It would be RBI, or it would be four RBI. It's not, that's not what it is, though. Yeah, but it like RBIs are a thing. No, like it's no, it's they're RBI. The S is embedded within it, and it's implied. It's if not embedded. A number it's not, higher than one, not it's embedded. It's not a reporter embedded like somewhere. <laughs> it is. It, it's not embedded. The S is in the middle, so you don't use it. All right, moving on. No. Number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Uh, you want on the air? No, just in life. On the air works, though. I think I was passing a note to fourth grade in Mr. Vitali's class to Lauren Glassberg, uh, and he intercepted it. And I think he was going to read it. And I, I feel like I blacked out because. <laughs> What's she up to these days? Is she single? That's she's, twice. She's still she's single, has oh, a. Yeah. Good to know. Keep an eye on know. that. Uh, speaking of embarrassed on the air, were you embarrassed when you started calling the wrong game by mistake the first or, or second time you did it? Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> the second time but you like, seemed unfazed. I literally tweeted you and I was like, Boog, did you just start calling the yeah. wrong game again? And you were like, yeah, sure did. The first time, maybe you were a little bit more surprised. <laughs> it's it, it shows you like how much there's some autopilot involved right. in what we do. Like a timing <laughs> autopilot thing. I mean, look, Dwayne Kuyper tells a story um they had a pitcher so the giants are playing the mets at city field and they're getting boat raced and the marlins i think it was Connolly was throwing a no hitter he's watching that game <laughs> on his monitor and what happens is he's he so he's at the ballpark calling giants mets at city field and now the pitches start to get synced up <laughs> and eventually Connolly gets a strikeout his pitcher was, I don't know who, and it's strike two. So, but he's watching the Marlin no hitter, and his call of a strike two is, got him! Strike two. 
<laughs> it's going to be even worse now that you guys are all used to calling off monitors instead of at the ballpark too. You're going to really have trouble remembering which one's supposed to I be. I will tell you this. <laughs> Look, it, one of the things I want it to be great. I really do, but I'm not able to do that all the time. <laughs> I'm going to say dumb shit on the air. My <laughs> Or is to try to not say dumb shit. It's not always so easy. I think I'm pretty good at pulling that off. Mm -hmm. But if I'm the one that screws it up, like I'm down to make fun of myself. Yeah, I mean, that's the way to handle it. And that's endearing. Also, we have the title for this podcast. I'm going to say dumb shit on the air. Boog Shambi. Yeah. That's the title for the podcast. Uh, Number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? I mean, just... This body is terrible. It's just a terrible body. Why do you say don't it, say that about yourself? It, it used it, I mean, it's just we're we're working on it. It's it's getting better, but that's what I'm looking. I need I I need because it because it hurts now that I'm getting older, it's yeah, it hurts a little bit. So I heard you I, gave up I'm, flour I'm and sugar. That sounds yeah, terrible. it's better. Oh. It's better. Oh. So sad. It's better. Come to Chicago. I know it you can't have Jenny's ice cream and you can't have deep pizza. And you you, no, don't. Okay. So sorry. Uh, yeah. Number eight, any band dead or alive is playing your next party. Who is it? Early eighties. REM. Ooh. Okay. Do you watch song exploder yeah. on Netflix? Yeah. Did you see the one about losing my religion? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm talking like REM with like, pilgrimage and yeah. radio free Europe. And yeah, yeah that, all I that even stuff, got into so. that weird when they came back around with that. What's the frequency Kenneth? I got into that album. Yeah, sure. Number, uh, number nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? My body. <laughs> no, uh, I'm saying that about my friend. <laughs> my biggest failure. Uh, is it my f- biggest failure or flaw? Failure. Flaw is your body, obviously. So failure would be. All right. I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess my biggest failure that I haven't gotten married. Okay. You would like to be married. I guess not that much. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were just maybe on the Dan Levitard plan where, you know, you just, yeah. The George Clooney, the like lifelong bachelor finally meets. Well, I mean, I like, if I'm all is interested, I'm, (laughs) I'm here. That's for sure. How do you use Clooney's wife and not Levitard's? That would have been awkward. A little bit weirder. Good point. Uh, Number 10, finally. What three words? Valerie, call me. Yeah. Valerie, call me, honestly. I might switch teams for Valerie. She's a great lady. She's awesome. Number 10, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Three individual words? Yep. Uh, Like, I think uh, that I'm considerate, that I'm someone that has empathy. Um. And I guess kind. Considerate, empathetic, and kind. Sounds like a very nice person. I would love to meet that person. Um, Me too. (laughs) I would have gone with funny, talented, but I like all those other ones too. Those are good. Uh, Final question. Who should I have on this podcast? Who should I talk to who's interesting and fun and cool? Levitard's wife. (laughs) I I should have Levitard's wife on. Now's the perfect timing, too. ESPN, ESPN would love that if I reached out to Levitard's wife right now. Fired! Yeah, perfect, right. Perfect timing. Uh, Boog, this was awesome. Thank you for doing this. You got it. You're the best. Oh, my pleasure. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. 
So this is going to be a place for rants and raves and everything in between. Sometimes I'll complain about something. Sometimes I'll share a story that I read that I thought you should check out. Whatever's on my mind. Today, it's something I read in the Washington Post that is essentially the chef's kiss of satire. The headline is, I see no choice but to resign from this Death Star as it begins to explode. And it is by Alexandra Petrie. And uh, I'll just read you the very beginning and you can decide for yourself how it relates to what's happening in the world. It is with a heavy heart and a deep sense of responsibility that I must submit my resignation effective immediately from my post on this Death Star. However, I see no other choice. Now is the time for all of us to stand up from our posts and do what is right. It's been an honor to work on this Death Star. I love the aesthetic. I love how I've been able to pursue my greatest passion, destroying planets and pressing buttons. I love my little hat that is a sunshade for no reason. I love the easy to access computer interfaces, the blast door equipped hallways, and that one area we can access only by pressing a button to extend a bridge. Our design always made a lot of sense to me. And I love our reliable trash disposal system and the little one-eyed tentacle fellow that lives in it. In general, I'm proud of this station and of what we've achieved on it together. Sure, there have been moments with which I disagreed. Lord Vader and I don't always see eye to eye. In fact, I have no idea where he's looking in that creepy helmet of his. I didn't like it when he tried to choke my colleague or my other colleague or that additional different colleague who later passed away. But I stayed at my post because I knew that my work mattered. And I was helping Grand Moff Tarkin keep the regional governors in line. I understand there might be some confusion about what exactly I'm doing and why I'm doing this now, but I don't think there should be. I am objecting on principle to staying on this Death Star for a single additional second. To those of you who would question my motives, I did know for a long time that the place I worked was a Death Star. But I have to say, until today, I didn't understand that it was also very vulnerable to assault by a small one-man fighter because of a design flaw. Destroying planets and using fear of this battle station to keep the local systems in line was my number one passion until about 30 seconds ago, weirdly. Anyway, it goes on. And I think you should read it. And if you don't know why, I think you should read some other things, too. Open up a newspaper, maybe. But check it out. It's in the Washington Post. That's what she read this week. You can always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you've got guest suggestions, questions, or more. And you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app, subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, rate it five stars, please, and give a review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. That's what she said.